0: December 4th, 2005, and uh, we're discussing Lesson 7 in uh, Epistle to the Hebrews. Let's open in prayer. Our Father, we are in awe of the things that you have done for us uh, every day that we awake. And uh, we have breath, and we uh, open our eyes and can see the world around us. We are aware that you have done marvelous things in your creation. Father, we are also aware that you have... uh, placed us in this time and in this space for a purpose and we thank you that you have called us and not left us to uh, struggle to discover it for our own but that you have given us clear direction in your word we appreciate your word so much and we ask that you might bless us as we open it and that you might uh, reveal to us your purposes in uh, uh, communicating it to us and father you might leave us with the strength to do the things that you ask us to do we pray in Yeshua's name, Amen Let's uh, bless the Lord before we uh, study the Word. Bar- Baruch Adonai Hamvorach Baruch Adonai Hamvorach Leolam Va'ed Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bachaban Mikoha Amin Venatan Lanu Et Torah to. Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen Bless Adonai who is blessed Blessed is Adonai, who is blessed forever. Blessed art thou, Adonai, our God, King of the Universe, who chose us from all the peoples and gave to us His Torah. Blessed art thou, Adonai, Giver of the Torah. Amen. Uh, lesson seven was uh, basically was uh, you had one one part in your workbook, obviously, to go through and break up into lessons seven and eight. Uh, my suggestion was that you broke at the uh, at the uh, chart. Uh, I know that uh, filling out at least part of the chart might have been helpful, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, maybe you've decided to put it off all off until next week. Or maybe you already did it all. Either way is fine. Uh, the, the, the topic is is broad enough. And the discussion is going to be broad enough that, that we may delve a little bit into next week's discussion as well. We'll, tr- we'll try and limit that as we can, but, but it may happen because it is all one thing that we're looking at. And, and it's basically three different pictures that are being presented to us in, this, in these two chapters, Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. And in those three pictures, we learn certain things. And uh, this, this week, what we're going to do is simply focus upon uh, the picture of the Sabbath and what it is... Picture of. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. That's from Hebrews 9, uh, 4, excuse me, 9 through 11. Uh, last, uh, the last lesson we did we finished up looking at chapters 1 and 2 looked at the titles uh, pertaining to Messiah there, there in those two chapters and we, we continue to see that without this thorough understanding of the quotes that are being brought especially in this book but it's actually true anywhere in the apostolic scriptures without a thorough understanding of the quotes we're left with an inferior inform- uh, uh, in view of, or understanding of, of what is exactly being taught us in these two chapters of who Messiah is now most people that read those passages know these things about him, but they may not know why they know them, and that's what's important about understanding those quotes and being able to understand the method of quoting a part of a verse as a reference in remez to cause us to go back and consult the entire passage for us to get the writer's complete intention because in that we're not simply accepting a statement of faith or a doctrinal statement that may or may not be true but we're rather learning from scripture itself those truths and we can, we can cement them and make them make them part of our own experience not merely a part of the experience of those who conveyed uh, religion or, or faith to us. So it's important for that reason that we learn this. For our purposes it helps us get a good start in this book because what we're we're going to see is it sets a foundation for what is following, but maybe not what's following in the way some people think is what's following. Uh, setting up a contrast is not what we saw. Instead, what we saw was setting up a comparison. A light to heavy, halva coma, and understanding that this light to heavy is, in fact, the methodology used throughout this book—not a contrast. That was the way you did it before. Now this is the way that you do it now. That was the way we understood things before. This is the way that you understand. In other words, to say that to say that Yeshua is nothing like the messengers that came before would be incorrect. Instead, what we'd say is his message is the same message, but the messenger. He you should definitely listen to him because you're not getting it second hand now you're getting it first hand so it's a profound light to heavy a comparison not a contrast if it were a contrast we'd say oh by the way those previous people that talked to you they were full of it ok it applied for a while it doesn't apply anymore move on now we got this new thing which then brings up the question well then does Joseph Smith come along and say oh by the way the angel Moroni came and told me this stuff and now this is true what supersedes? Does a later revelation supersede a previous revelation? And the answer is, biblically, the answer is absolutely, categorically, never. To, in fact, imply it is, is dangerous at the outset. In, in, in computer terminology there are various ways and various methods to check and validate data and, and, and anybody that's involved in computer data understands that the data is the way that you confirm that data is received by the receiving end whatever it is whether it's your hard drive or whether it's a receiver of your email the way that you, cons- that way that you perceive that the data was received correctly that was every byte was in the correct position is in the first part of the message you, con- you contain the code the summation the sum it's it's basically it's a a mathematical formula the sum of all the stuff that's going to follow and then you say that way when the person receives it or the computer code or the hard drive receives the data it says was this all of it and if it wasn't it says "Uh ah error CRC doesn't compute we don't have we don't have a we don't have a complete cycle here and that's in fact in the the receiver receives back information that says I got the data correct it added up and that's the key it adds up it's the first first piece of information tells you how it's going to add up if in fact the first piece of information says it adds up this way and then a later piece of information comes along and say wrong this is the way it really adds up which one are you going to trust? Let's food. That's exactly right. Uh, it's, it's common sense, but we have been so trained in our tradition, sometimes we throw common sense out the window and we go, well, it's like it says that we're supposed to listen to him. He's Messiah, it says we're supposed to listen to him. This is my beloved son, Matthew 17. Him, you should hear. Listen to him. That's exactly what it says, by the way. If we were careful, we would say, that's a quote. That's a quote from... Deuteronomy 18, where it says, A prophet will come like unto Moses. Him, you must obey. But if we're careful to read the passage, we see the prophet that comes like Moses will not come with new revelation, but confirm and reveal the revelation that's already been given. And this is what we're seeing in this book of Hebrews. This is not something new. This is something that has been indeed hidden. And many of us have had eyes that have been blinded but it doesn't mean that this is a new revelation. It's just new to us. Better explain, maybe. More information. But it would never, if it were to undo what God has already said, we are in danger. Uh, if we look at just this first three chapters and uh, the first two chapters, and they 're beautiful chapters uh, in and of themselves, you just read them they are chapters that people describe as christological chapters, chapters describing who Messiah is. If you just read them and now not go any deeper they 're beautiful, but compared to the wealth of, of Information that you derive from them by going with the writer through those passages that we did you see that just a simple reading is almost cartoonish almost a sketch versus this rich painting that's been painted for us as a description of who he is Now, as we move into chapters 3 and 4, as you know, these chapters are used uh, for various reasons to teach various things. Oftentimes these verses are taken out of context to teach a very good thing, don't misunderstand. But oftentimes they're taken out of context, as we're going to see when we get into two weeks from now talking about the, the word of the Lord. But in this regard, there are parts of chapters three and four dealing with the Sabbath that are often taken out of context. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, as we read. Well, that's that's a verse that people talk about when they want to encourage people to attend church. (laughs) Uh, Ironically, that same verse is used to decry the practice of a Sabbath by Christians. What are you talking about? Sabbath's an eternal thing. There's no such thing as a Sabbath for believers. So, we need to understand the reason why the writer is using the Sabbath imagery. And it may or may not, we may get lost in the Sabbath part of it and miss the point. Or vice versa. So let's go through it and let's start through it as, as you've already done your work. Always remember though, as we go through this book, always remember chapters, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. The writer is making a point about the world to come. Everything that you read should be kept within that context in this book. He is making points about the world to come. And he's talking about... He just makes this offhanded comment and talking about angels. But in that offhanded comment, he's, he's giving you a glimpse of his purpose in writing this book. And it does pertain directly to the world to come. Now, that's a phrase that he uses. It's a phrase that's common in ancient understanding. It's not a phrase that we use often. We, we talk about going on to heaven or, or, or going to the promised land or, or uh, um, living in the eternal kingdom. So exactly. All those phrases are almost, almost circumlocution for this very phrase, the world to come, because it sounds a little odd to us in our, in our language, although our, our Puritan uh, ancestors would have loved it because they used it often. So. Faithful in all his house. Let's go to chapter three and start off because this is going to give us a the context. And the reason why we're, we're, gonna go, we're, we're taking two lessons to go through this is because you've got to almost have an understanding of what the author is talking about, his language that he uses to get a glimpse of what the point of these two chapters are. But if we only do that, then we miss the point because he starts off by saying what he is gonna, by, go, going to be talking about. These two chapters are about this. We're starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider... The the Apostle and Cohen Gadol, high priest of our confession, Yeshua, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as also was Moshe, Moses, in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moshe, inasmuch as he who built the house is more honored than the house, light to heavy. Now, to be fair, most of Bibles will say uh, Jesus is better than Moses at the top of this, and that's, that's absolutely correct. That's exactly what it's saying. But it, their, use, their reason for doing it is almost to be a, is to be a contrast as, a, as, a poise, as opposed to a comparison. Listen to carefully what he says. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Careful, listen. Moshe indeed was faithful in all his house, as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were a foreword to be spoken. But Messiah is faithful as a son over his house, Whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and glorying in our hope firm to the end. Therefore, even as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear His voice. And then he goes to this, basically the Sabbath imagery, and we're going to see next week that it's also an imagery of the land, the Sabbath imagery in the next few chapters. This this point that he's making though is he's trying to draw this comparison between this this uh, comparison between Yeshua and Moses. Okay. Keep that in mind as we go through these chapters. It's a comparison between Yeshua and Moses. And who is the house? Who is the house? in these chapters. It does say we are the house, but it actually says something before that. It says something something about Moses. Who has more honor? for he has verse 3 for he has counted more worthy of glory than Moshe inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house the implication is Moses is a part of the house ok and you're right the people of God are the part of the house so who's building the house Moses didn't build the house ok he's a part of the house remember the house we talked about in, 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 uh, in Second Samuel 7 that's the house when God promised David, I'm going to build a house. This is immediately after David said, I want to build you a house. I want to build you a temple here on the threshing floor. And God's response is, I'm going to build you a house. He wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about a family. But even more than that, not just a genetic family, but a family of faith. And that's what we see. This is a promise. That's the reason why the writer of Hebrews brought that house thing in. He's continuing this house discussion. The house discussion now says, Moses, he was a part of the house. Actually, he's a leader in the house. But Yeshua, he's the builder of the house. Okay? And who's built the house? This, there's, it goes back to what we're talking about. Verse 3 says, Who built the house? Verse 4 says, actually, But he who built all things is God. Exactly. Precisely. He's not. He's not the one building the house. He's just a servant of the house. He's a servant of the master in the house. He's a member of the house. Notice that the son is over his house, whereas Moses is in his house. This comparison is helping us order and get an understanding of something that he's going to tell us in these next two chapters. And he starts off right away in verse 7 by saying, therefore, even as the Holy Spirit says, let's get down here, and he quotes from Psalm 95 starts in verse 7 he says therefore even as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the provocation as in the day of the trial in the wilderness this is a quote from Psalm 95 verse 7 right but he says the Holy Spirit wrote it who wrote this the Holy Spirit well who wrote Psalm 95 David to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit (laughs) isn't that wonderful as little things, I mean, you just take them for granted, but the scripture is very clear. Don't harden your hearts, as in the provocation, verse verse nine, where your fathers tested me by proving me and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was displeased with that generation and said, they always err in their heart, but they did not know, know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they n- sh- they will not enter my rest. Let's go to Psalm ninety-five, because that's the discussion here. You see, if you, didn't, if you hadn't done your homework, if you hadn't read and didn't get this understanding, you would be confused how he talks about rest, rest here, and then he starts using the Sabbath word, which is actually also rest in the Greek here, as he goes through the rest of this passage, you're going, what's he talking about? He's like jumping all over the place. But he's not. He's got a common thread. It's got three levels to it. And the first level is Psalm 95's discussion of today. What is today? And the question as we read Psalm 95, verses 7. Actually, let's read the whole thing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His wonders among all people. Peoples, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all the gods, above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O you families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him." All the earth. Say among the nations... I'm reading Psalm 96, but that was good. That was good. Why didn't you stop me earlier? It was good. I got to tell you guys, you're far too trusting. Well, as I, well, I didn't know until I got to verse seven, which was where I was focusing on. I go, that's not the same verse seven, anyway. Okay, I'm going to start over. Psalm 95. First one. Chris, 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 time's over. Huh? No, no, no. <laughs> The stakes are good. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. That sounds a lot the same. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him, before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are His also. The sea is His, for He made it. And His hands formed the dry land. Oh come, let us bow, excuse me, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when the fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work. For forty years I was grieved with that generation, and said... It is the people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Is David speaking about the Sabbath here? No, he's not. Um, why then is the writer of Hebrews using this passage to launch into discussion of, that uses the Sabbath as a, as a type or an image? Here's why. And you read it in, in, in your homework on page 47. In in, in Sanhedrin 110b, this is in the uh, Babylonian Talmud, Our rabbis taught, the generation of the wilderness has no portion in the world to come, as it is written. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. They shall be consumed, refers to this world, and they shall die to the world to come. As it is also said, Forty years long I was grieved with this generation, unto whom I swore in my wrath they should not enter my rest. This is a... Commentary on Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is recognized as the psalm for welcoming the Sabbath. The readers of this passage in Hebrews would have immediately remembered when he started quoting from Psalm 95. Well, this is a Sabbath psalm. And so as he goes into the Sabbath imagery, they would have made this connection to the land. Which is exactly what he goes on to. And exactly what the writer in, in, uh, in Sanhedrin 110b's point was as well. There's this relationship between a, a Sabbath and a Sabbath rest and the land. And if we want to get a good understanding of what all that is about, entering the land and how the land is somehow related to the world to come, we can get this picture, these three levels, these three depths, we're going to see in these very same chapters of Hebrews, these two chapters, we're going to get these three levels of depth, each level uncovering us and giving us more information about the ones that follow. The first level is simply the Sabbath. And today, the word today, (inaudible) ayo, it. Well, before we get to that, I, I actually have to do this because I asked you to do it in your homework, and it was really—it was a good experience for me. So, let's let's talk about it just before we do uh, get into Hayom. This two, chapter, Psalms 95 is actually divided into two parts. If you look at it, the first—how does the first part relate to the second part? When you're reading, you go, "Is this the same? Wh- who's, what's the point? How does it relate?" It does make sense because. But he says in the second part, is saying, they reject us for a great, wonderful exactly. God I am. Exactly. And you're praising me, and yet at the same time you're rejecting me and saying, I'm not a good guy, I'm a bad guy. Precisely. And in fact, that's exactly right, because what they were doing is they're calling a liar. Well, and you're rejecting everything that they see him doing for them. Most people read this assume that this discussion is about when they first did not enter the land when the ten spies came back. The bad report from the ten spies. This is after that. This is the the generation that actually goes into the land are the ones that are rebelling. And the rebellion was was short-lived. Moses, in fact, himself rebels at this point as well. This is where he strikes the rock. And, and we, when we see Aaron's participation, it's like everybody failed here. Everybody failed this one. This, this, this incident that happened at, at Meribah. The, the fact that they tested God actually turned it into a test of David And All of them. All of them failed. Which is, remember that. As we get into next week, I want you to remember that. Because that is exactly the thing the writer of Hebrews wants you to remember. He wants you to remember what happened at Meribah. Because it's important for the discussion in these two chapters. Numbers 20. Pardon me? Numbers 20. Numbers 20. What happened to Mariba? And that's exactly, he said, You're the one who says, You didn't, you brought us out here to die. And he sustained them. Okay. For a long time. A long time. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. They never were lacking. Food fell from the, from the sky six days out of seven in the morning and the evening. And twice on the sixth. That's right. And then twice as much on the sixth day. But the Psalms, act, this, this Psalm 95, actually the two parts, both parts, give us Sabbath pictures. The first part talks about creation. And as we're going to see, the Sabbath is always always, always a reflection upon creation. So how do they relate? They relate because just as, just as Valerie talked about this great God who in fact is the provision for them they rebelled against it. What happened when they rebelled? Look at the descriptions of the Almighty here. He goes by the name. Uh, his name is used multiple times in here translated in, the, in, in most Bibles capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Uh, Hashem. He's Sur Yeshenu, the rock of our salvation. Which, if you look at that, that's the same, it's, the spelling is a little bit different because it has a, a uh, Shvad instead of a uh, Tzereh in the name Yeshua. But he's our salvation. Um, El Gadol. El Gadol. He's the great God. He's Melagadol El- Alkal Elohim. The great king over all the gods. <coughs> he's Hashem Oseinu. God our maker. He's Elokeinu. He's our God. This is a profound thing to say. To say he's our God. By the way, anytime you read Elohim in scripture, it is a reference to the creative uh, what God has created it's other things as well but it, it, but it is first and foremost his, it is a reference to his relationship to his creation so the fact that he's referred to as God in your English Bibles throughout this psalm is in fact a reflection upon creation his act of creating did God's creating cease? it's a trick question actually technically yes On the seventh day. Not on the sixth day. Actually, on the seventh day. I'll I'll show you here in a second. However, because he created one more thing on the seventh day. Actually, let's go there now. Jeremiah, you want to help me with this one? Come here. Jesse, you're welcome to join in. Although, I I don't know if you have the words handy. Mm -hmm. We do. Right here. uh, Genesis 1... the reason why Genesis 1.31 is included in case you don't know in this in this, uh, in this blessing that opens Shabbat the reason why is Genesis 1.31 the verse 31 is included and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day it is in fact well it's talking about the end of end of the six days but it's, there's another reason also it, uh, there's, a, there's an acronym in those first letters that spell out the name of God and that's why it's included but that's why you say it silently quietly before you do the whole thing yom <speaking> Hiluha Shamayin de Haarez Beho Sevaam Yet by a hell Elohim, byom hashvi Melato asher asa By ish pot byom hashvi Miko melato asher asa By Elohim et yom hashvi By kadeshoto He was shavat Miko melato Ta bara Elohim vatzot Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech avam Asher kirshanu Verat Savanu Veshabat le Ve mehava kodsho behava ubratson hinkhrelanu Zikaron demah sefer eshit Ki hu yom chgilas Mitraim Kivanu Vakarta, Leotanu Kidashta, Miko Amin, Beshabad Kochah, Behava Uvra son, Hikal Tanu, Barucha Adonai, Mecadesh. Hashabah. Thank you, Jeremiah or Judah. That was even done without words. Anybody that did it without words, you'd be commended by the way. I can't do it without words here. But it's, the, it's, it's actually singing from Genesis 31, uh, 31, excuse me, 131 through 2 3. Uh, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day, and the heavens and the earth were finished in all their array. And on the seventh day, God finished the work which God had been doing. Notice it says, on the seventh day. What did He create on the seventh day? Rest. That's what He created on the seventh day. So the question is, and that's why it's a technical question, is God done creating? No, because the rest goes on. So in fact, His creation is eternal in that regard. Ongoing. In time and space, we'd say, God has finished doing everything that is necessary has been finished. Ah, we're getting a hint of why the writer wants to use the Sabbath as a picture. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because on it God ceased all the work of creation which had been done. And to be fair, to be honest, there's more than just the passage because it goes on to say, Blessed art thou, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and favored us in his holy Shabbat. With love and with favor he gave us as a heritage, a remembrance of the work of the beginning. For it is the day that is first among the holy appointed days, a remembrance of the exodus from Egypt. You have chosen us and set us apart from all nations and your holy Shabbat in love you have given to us as a heritage. Blessed art thou Adonai who hallows the Shabbat. It makes, uh, it makes Justin Martyr's letter, uh, letter to uh, Trifo and, and uh, Augustine's comments on the Sabbath so calloused and cold. God cursed you with the Sabbath is it's pretty, it's pretty rude when you consider that the Jewish people consider it a blessing from God. And the reason why is because of what he created on the seventh day. Rest. What is it to rest? And it's the picture that we're going to be drawing upon when we talk next week about the land. The focus, by the way, in Psalms 95 is, in fact, his name, his sovereignty, his greatness, and the fact that he's the creator, which makes it a perfect psalm for welcoming the Sabbath. When we look at this incident in Numbers Numbers 20, actually it's Numbers 20, it's not Numbers 2, Numbers 20, 1 through 13, what does this have to do with the Sabbath? The answer is nothing. Directly. Remember, we're being given a picture. They rebelled against going into the land. God said, Here it is, it's time to go in. Excuse me for paraphrasing. And their response was, No, you just brought us out here to die. There's not even any water. Where's all this milk and honey anyway? <laughs> it's rebellion, unbelief, and doubting God's provision, His protection. They accused Him of lying. The connection to the Sabbath is found in Exodus 16. Let's go there real quickly. We're not going to read the whole passage. But if you remember, Exodus 16 is where God tells them about the manna. Remember, this is a provision. Always remember this. The Sabbath is connected to provision from God. Always. And in this passage, what we see is this, the manna starts to fall right this is the introduction of man this is this is a month before Sinai the Torah as, as the law being given the ten commandments being given on the mount has not happened but God introduced them to something beautiful he introduces them to his provision falling without any labor every day their only labor they have to gather his provision is to just go pick it up I already gave it to you did you plan it do you have to harvest it? Just pick it up. But, you're only going to pick it up six days a week. Because on the sixth day, I'm going to give you twice as much so that on the seventh day, when it doesn't fall, it'll be, that you'll have enough. Some people go, you know, this works. Let's pick up twice as much all the time. <laughs> it rots so he has to tell them when you pick it up on the sixth day it won't spoil it'll keep all day the seventh day you'll have food you won't have to pick anything up how hard is it to go out and pick it up y'all it's not hard but he doesn't want them to do that why? he wants them to remember something what does he want them to remember? I saw him get upset in, in disbelief or unbelief on both sides he got upset when he told them don't keep it overnight and some of them did that's right and the flip side was, he got upset again in their unbelief when he said, don't go out on the, on the Sabbath and pick this stuff like it he ain't going to be there. That's right, that's right. My other That's right. Unbelief. unbelief is the key. That's, it really is. This is a matter of trusting God. That when you pick up twice as much on the sixth day, number one, it won't spoil. Like it would on any other day. And you have to do it on the sixth day. Now, this is an important picture. I want you to keep this in mind as we move through uh, through this week and next week. Keep this in mind. It's important to pick up enough on the sixth day. That's a very important point he's making. You have to pick up enough on the sixth day. Because, well, I'll I'll save it for that. Starting down in verse... uh, I had it here. I had to count. Verse 25. Look at verse 25. And this is why Psalm 95 is in fact considered the Sabbath. Not the Sabbath. It's the welcoming of the Sabbath song. All the Psalms are actually Sabbath songs to one degree or another. This is the welcoming of the Sabbath. And the reason why is actually verse 25. Because it says, Then Moses said, Eat it. Eat that. Eat that today. And he's speaking of the manna. The word today is hayon. It's one word. It means it. the day. Eat it. the day. For the day is a Sabbath. Today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. This goes on, right? No. It's three times there he, le- he lists... Today. Hayom is in that verse three times. They say, well, three times, that's it. Well, I asked you to count in in Hebrews 3 and 4 how many times he uses this quote today. He does the same thing three times. Now, you and I probably go, you know, it's like coincidental. The readers would not have taken that as coincidence. They get the picture. They immediately get, the minute he starts quoting from this psalm, they know what he's talking about. They know he's saying, he's drawing a Sabbath thing. He's drawing us a Sabbath picture. Why? They know Sabbath. They know this imagery. And they know precisely what it, is, what it means to prepare for Sabbath. Because that's what he's going to use as a launching point into the next level of discussion into the land. Okay? Because ultimately, what is he talking about? The world to come. Which is the deepest level of his discussion in these two chapters. So the first level is just talking about the Sabbath because it's going to help you understand what I'm talking about. He's helping them come along with him. The Jerusalem Talmud, which is not a common... It's, it's hard to find even a copy. The Jerusalem Talmud, which was written very soon after the destruction of the temple, um, as opposed to the Babylonian Talmud, is more is, is, is much later, um, actually tells this very thing. It's, and it's commentary on the Psalms, in Psalms 95. It actually says the word today is about the Sabbath. It's talking about the Sabbath. And and it does this homiletical or allegorical view on the word today, Hayom. And if you're familiar with the Hebrew liturgy, you know that Hayom has several different meanings. It is the Day of Atonement. The Hayom also is is always a reflection upon Sabbath. It's a discussion of Sabbath. So anytime you hear today, you think, ah, what is it? Does that mean something? Maybe Maybe I'm getting a Sabbath picture here, which is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do for us. Remember, David is not speaking of the weekly Sabbath, but who wrote Psalms 95? The Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's speaking on multiple levels for us. David was simply talking about what happened in Marabbah and how the people responded to the God, their creator, their provider, and how they'd rebelled against him. OK? And the writer of Hebrews is trying to draw, draw these, these, these multiple levels of imagery. This homiletic uh, uh, device that he's using has three levels. And, and if we confuse the levels, we're going we're gonna to miss some of the point, too. Start with the surface level, which is the Sabbath. And from it, you can learn a greater level, and that is the going into the land that the, that the, that the first generation that went into the land experienced. And from that, we can learn his main point to the listeners or the readers of this book, which was has what, how it pertains to the world to come. Okay? And menucha, rest. Um, ironically, uh, rest is... You, most of the time we read about rest in, in, in relationship to the Sabbath is actually the word Sabbath. Shabbat. Many times when referencing the rest of the Sabbath... The word menucha is used, which is rest. So, when we read about the very Sabbath, it's usually talking about Sabbath rest, which is exactly what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 4. There remains a Sabbath rest. It's actually a repeating of the same word. It's rest rest. Yeah. <laughs> Sabat, uh, sabaton, yeah. Um, basically, uh, we need to understand that they are related, but they're not, they're not one and the same. But just understand they're related. Menucha and, and uh, Sabbath are related took a Sabbath rest a little bit, and this is this is, and some of this I did not ask you to do. I didn't ask you to go and read, but as we as we uh, heard from Genesis one thirty one through two three, um, the first thing that ever de- was that God ever declared as holy was time. Time. We do not think of things that way. Honestly, we don't. We think of things differently. Uh, it is it is. It is our makeup. Which is re- one of the reasons why it, this is a profound thing that the writer of Hebrews is, is doing in chapter 3 and 4. How this relates to going through the rest of the book. Because this is really a discussion of reality. And a perspective of biblical reality is being brought in this. Time plays a role in what is real. Okay? It's, it shouldn't surprise us. We talk about eternity, we're talking about a something that is outside of time, but it's the relationship that we would consider it as time. Well, how long is eternity is what we would say. Well, it goes on and on and on. In other words, we're describing it in t- terms of the dimension of time. Right? And yet it's not a it's not time. But we describe it that way. So we actually refer to time oftentimes. And in fact, it's the very thing that we're afraid of is time. But God actually sanctifies time first. There, right in Genesis 1 he, uh, and, and 2, he sanctifies time. If we follow the, the, the thread of God's declaring things or sanctifying, making things holy, setting them apart for his purpose, the first thing he sets apart for his purpose. Everything he creates, he said, that's good. very good. That's right. Everything he says, that's good. But when he gets to the seventh day, he says, that's holy. And then, the next thing he does is, as we go on, we discover that God sanctifies man. He says, I want you to be a holy people unto me. You're mine. You're be my possession. But the last thing he sanctifies is space. Where he says, I want you to build me a tabernacle that I can dwell among you. As we move through this book, these are the very things that he's talking about. He's drawing pictures of reality. That we're supposed to get a grasp of what's really going on by studying this book and how we relate to it, and that's and that's why he's using this imagery. It seems like it seems like as we discussed earlier, sometimes the topics are just like scattered. Well, I'll talk about this for a little while, and then I'll talk about this for a little while. There's a big section of the high priest, and then I'll talk about something else, right? And, and what we need to understand is there is there is incredible unity in this book, and it all relates to the world to come. By the way, Exodus 31. Let's, let's read it. We have a little bit of time. Me, I think we have a little bit of time. Do we have time? Oh, sure we do. I was looking at the back row and I said that, by the way. That's what the front row is. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Front row usurps the back row. Yeah. Uh, Exodus 31.12. And the Lord spoken to Moses saying, as I said, this is the most common phrase found in Scripture. And the Lord spoken to Moses saying, speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign. It's an interesting play on, on, on plurals and singulars here. If you follow it, my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. See, first he sanctifies time. Now what is he doing? I sanctify you. How are you going to know that I sanctify you? I make you for my own. How are you going to know that? Because of this sign which is a sanctified of time. You shall keep the Sabbath therefore for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death, for whoever does not does work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall be put to death. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath through, that, through their generations throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. His rest is this picture of the Sabbath. That's what he created on the seventh day. But it's always a reflection upon this this creative act that he did. In this relationship to six days of work six days of creation one day of rest. And this is holy time. And this picture that he's doing is actually becomes not just a sign, it becomes a covenant. This supersedes, actually it comes before precedes. I shouldn't say supersedes, this precedes the covenant that we find at Sinai. Even though it is repeated, in the fourth commandment, this, this precedes. This is not part of the Sinatic covenant, as it were. All God's covenants are all-inclusive, by the way. But it's interesting that this is something that happens before. He says the Sabbath is a covenant. That's why exactly. That's why. That's why Jewish philosophers have said the Sabbath. The, the, the children of Israel have not kept the Sabbath. Jews have not kept the Sabbath. The Sabbath has kept them, because it is the one thing above all things that has identified them as a unique people. It's the one thing. They can be identified uniquely throughout the world by that one thing. To this day, people discover their own Jewish genealogies by finding out that their grandparents used to go into the basement and light candles on Friday night. I don't know. I don't know why they did that. And suddenly somebody tells them, "Oh, Well, that's easy. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't afraid to let everybody know. They're Jewish. It is the one piece of identity that has been consistent throughout the ages. Just like he said, uh, there is, a, there is a, a Midrash that says if all Israel will keep but one Sabbath Messiah will come why? because it is the unique identifier of God's people that's what he s- shows here it's the unique identifier how do you make it holy? You know, this, is, this is a funny thing to me because a lot of people think that you make it holy by doing holy things Let's be holy. You know, how do you become holy? That's what he says again and again in the book of Leviticus. And it's repeated in the Apostolic Scriptures again and again. Be holy, for I am holy. Well, how do I be holy? Jesus is the same. Yeah, how do I be holy? I want to know. Let's, what do I need to do to be holy? Do I like to be debated more often? Or, or do I have to have a blessing from somebody to be holy? And the answer is, to be holy is to be set aside. Dedicated. A pure purpose for him and him alone. That's this to be holy. So in the same regard, how do you make the Sabbath holy? You can do holy things and that does not make the Sabbath holy. The Sabbath is holy. But how is it to be holy to you? For it to be holy to you, it simply says, cease from working. What kind of work are you talking about? What are you striving for in your own, in your own strength? Stop it. Instead, Depend upon Him. It is a reflection upon Him, the Provider and the Creator. That's its purpose. It's a weekly reminder of His provision. It's a weekly... It's like I can't get away from it. By the way, is anybody ever surprised? Is there an astrological reason why we do a week? A seven-day week? Can you count stars to figure out seven days? Is there a moon cycle that gives us seven days? No. Seven days have been remembered since the dawn of time. How? Why? because God instituted it. And if anybody thinks that we don't know what day the seventh day is, I'm sorry, there's, it's not possible. The Jewish people have kept the seventh day Sabbath for thousands of years. They didn't forget, even if many of us did. They didn't forget. Even in captivity. Even, in captivity. even if they had to go to their basement to celebrate it. Who did it? It was seen as a sign of laziness and slothfulness and and, uh, it was rejected because it was considered Jewish. The early Christian church rejected it specifically because it was a Jewish identifier. Specifically said, I'm not a Jew and I'm not going to do a Jewish thing because they thought it was a Jewish identifier. They rejected it for that singular reason. And that's where we get Sunday is that the switch didn't happen for several centuries didn't become official but that's where the switch came from look Rome comes to tax Jews I'm not a Jew but you celebrate you rest on the seventh day you must be a Jew oh well let's change that okay it's not important the Jews kept celebrating it on the seventh day and paid the tax because they understood it's holy to them it was a, it was a principle the only thing that was required to make the Sabbath holy unto you is to rest. Eating on the Sabbath, fine and well, but that's not what was commanded. It commanded is to rest. Cease from your efforts. What efforts? What, what things are we supposed to cease from? By the way, Isaiah 66, 22-23 When our writer in Hebrews says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, he's not talking about the seventh day Sabbath outright. He's not negating it. Don't misunderstand. He's not talking about it outright. He's drawing something deeper. We're going to look at it next week and go deeply into it because it has to do with the world to come. What he's doing, though, is he's using the Sabbath and the continuity of the Sabbath to talk about eternity. And in this regard, there is a Sabbath day rest for the people of God. And I've taken people before to Sabbath passages and they go, oh, look, you know, it doesn't apply to us anymore. I recognize that prophetically when, when, when Jesus comes back and he's, he's ruling in Jerusalem, okay, so we'll keep a Sabbath. We'll start it again. Well, it's like, it, why don't you practice now? <laughs> if you know it's going to apply, why not practice now? And Isaiah 66 tells us exactly that. In fact, that it will be, it will be a time where we will, in fact, not just rest, but we will celebrate with the Creator Himself and The point is, now, I, I, we're talking about Shabbat this week. Don't, don't misunderstand. We're talking about the Sabbath, the Sabbath rest. But we're going to look at next week, it's the preparation that's the point. His point is to talk about the preparation for the Sabbath. In Hebrews 4.11, he uses this as a warning. Let's look there real quickly. And i got my Bible, so I'm just going to use that if you'll forgive me. Hebrews 4.11. He says, Let, therefore, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Now, he's not talking about the Sabbath here, but he's remember, he's using Sabbath imagery. To people who were Sabbath keepers, this meant something. Let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Okay? Here's the imagery. Starting on Sunday, one looks at his week and the things that must be accomplished prior to sundown on Friday. And the week becomes a preparation for sundown. As you're working, and by the way, as the time approaches closer and closer, if anybody's seen, if you've ever seen uh, Fiddler on the Roof, I won't be there! <laughs> as the time comes closer and closer, it becomes much more tense. And the preparation is, in fact, sometimes hurried. Anybody that has ever celebrated a biblical Sabbath can tell you, you'll never get ready it happens and there's stuff not done that had to be done sometimes you get more ready than other everybody's bathed and you, you, you got a nice meal excuse me I don't do that but you have a nice meal and everything's ready and all the things are done so nothing else has to be done there's gas in the car there's gas in the car yeah <laughs> don't even start with me on that one Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's say you go through all those uh, but sometimes you don't get it all done and so it remains undone. But the Sabbath still starts. God finished His work. We don't. And that's the picture. Every week we don't finish our work. But it doesn't matter. Because His work is sufficient. All week I've worked hard. My own strength, I've done this. And come Friday night, I remember, I didn't do a thing. He did it all. He was always the one doing the providing. It's a weekly reminder. Now, I'm not saying that we don't know this without doing this weekly reminder. I'm just saying that the weekly reminder is just that. It's repetition again and again and again, reminding ourselves. God is giving us a picture of works and grace. You do the works, but guess what? The works don't get you to Friday night it came anyway that's what he did he set it apart it's his job he did that we enter his rest it's complete nothing can be added to it even if we haven't done all that we need to do what has been done is necessary and as I work all week and whatever I do on Friday to get done to be finished so so I don't do anything Saturday until Saturday night it doesn't matter because it's not my work that gets me there it's his work He's done it. It's His. He's declared it holy. He's just simply said, Now act like it. So the works, if we're going we're to carry this into the world to come next week and talk about it, how it relates to it, that's the perfect picture. You stand at the edge of life and death, and everything that you can do in preparation, in works, righteous deeds, good things. Will not take you across the threshold. It's only one thing that takes you across the threshold, and it is a time set as well as the sunset on Friday. That is only by His grace. And that's why He can say, "Work diligently to enter His rest." That's the phraseology He's using. And if we don't understand the picture, we miss the point. We understand. How do I work hard? That sounds like works. Salvation by works? No. Furthest thing from it. It's giving you the Sabbath imagery. Work hard to get ready. Because once the moment starts, the work's done. Whatever you've done, it's over. It's finished. And it's only by grace. That's right. The second. The preparation for that. Uh, just enough. It's like, he provided twice as much on this day. Exactly. So. This is uh, Abraham uh, Joshua Heschel says, The Sabbath is not for the sake of the weekdays. The weekdays are for the sake of the Sabbath. It is not an interlude. It is the climax of life. As we move into next week and talking about the world to come and how Sabbath relates to the world to come, how it first relates to the land and then how it relates to the world to come, we're going to see that this is exactly right. Life is about preparing to live with Him. here's here's what he says uh, in his book The Sabbath we are all infatuated with the splendor of space with the grandeur of things of space thing is a category that lies heavy on our minds tantalizing tyrannizing all our thoughts our imagination tends to mold all concepts in its image in our daily lives we attend primarily to that which the senses are spelling out for us to what the eyes perceive, Hebrews 11, to what the eyes perceive, to what the fingers touch. Reality to us is a thinghood, consisting of substances that occupy space. Even God is conceived by most as a thing or person. The result of this, of our thinginess, is our blindness to all reality that fails to identify itself as a thing, as a matter of fact. This is obvious in our understanding of time, which being thingless and insubstantial appears to us as if it has no reality. Indeed, we know what to do with space that do not know what to do about time, except to make it subservient to space. Most of us seem to labor for the sake of things of space. As As a result, we suffer from a deeply rooted dread of time and stand aghast when compelled to look into its face. Time to us is a sarcasm, a slick, treacherous monster, with a jaw like a furnace incinerating every moment of our lives. Shrinking, therefore, from facing time, we escape for shelter to things of space." Possessions become symbols of our repressions, jubilees of frustrations. But things of space are not fireproof. They only add fuel to the flames. Is the joy of possession an antidote to the terror of time, which grows to be a dread of the inevitable death? Things, when magnified, are forgeries of happiness. They are a threat to our very lives. We are more harassed, Than supported by the Frankensteins of spatial things. It is impossible for man to shirk the problem of time. The more we think, the more we realize we cannot conquer time through space. We can only master time and time. He does a beautiful job in describing this issue of how God has sanctified time and how it relates to us in reality. All week is spent in preparation for the Sabbath, but preparation stops. Bring it. God brings it. Our work does not bring about rest in Messiah. God's grace alone brings us into that rest. The writer of this epistle is drawing us into the Sabbath as an encouragement and a warning. And even though we've looked at this as a lesson on the Sabbath, it's only for it so that we can grasp the language and the texture of what he's telling us in this book. He wants the readers to correlate to the Sabbath, the land and the world to come. And next week we'll be looking specifically about belief and obedience and how it relates to the world to come because he uses this Sabbath picture throughout these books as a jumping off point to draw an exhortation, an encouragement, and a rebuke as we're going to see, moving through chapters 5 and 6, a rebuke against them, lest they think they can stand at the edge of eternity and not go in. Any final comments before we close? Let's, uh, let's bless the Lord for what He's revealed to us in His Word. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Natan Torah Temet V'Chai Olam Nata betochenu. Baruch Ata Adonai noten Ein HaTorah Amen. Blessed art Thou Adonai, our God, King of the Universe, who gave to us the Torah of Truth and planted eternal life in our midst. Blessed art Thou Adonai, Giver of the Torah. Amen.